we left off, um, it looks like, a couple weeks ago on page three. At the bottom of page three. I'm currently printing off page fours for you, so those will be here in a moment. Uh, however, we know that the pastor and Mrs. Jeffrey are taking off on a cross-country excursion here coming up. So... <laughs> Uh, we will not uh, be in Acts as I will be leading the sermon series for that time, so we'll be putting a pause to this. But uh, I doubt we'll make it all the way through page four, uh, but if we do, there'll be no need for page five. <laughs> um, and as I was telling Lynn there a moment ago, um, the notes for these are pretty much done. Um, just some things to fill in, and then, of course, I go through each week and do my uh deeper detailed notes um, but we'll print those out for you when we get circled back around to the the series so on page three at the bottom of page three if you still have it uh, we're on um, the little roman numeral two there at the bottom of the page where uh, the believers have uh, the baptism questioned by Paul. So remember, uh, the overriding thing we're looking at here is uh, this instruction that was given by the Lord in verse 5 of Acts 1. And he said uh, there that, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And so he's pointing to the necessity for this baptism from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if anyone wants to say that during Christ's earthly ministry that things were the same as they were after Christ's ascension, uh, well, let's just look to this as a, a big difference. Uh, there was a necessity for spirit baptism that did not take place while Christ was on this earth. Now, remember, we've talked about it many times here, and if you've been through the Bible Institute uh, in the pneumatology class and probably some of the others, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people during Christ's earthly ministry or in the Old Testament like he can now for somebody that believes the facts of the gospel. What does that mean? Uh, you look at David, for instance, and David was a man after God's own heart. God thought very highly of David, right? But he didn't have what we have. And people say, well, how could David do what he did with Bathsheba? And how could he do some of these evil things that he did? Well, he had the Holy Spirit come upon him for periods of time, and the Holy Spirit would leave him again. Remember, he said in Psalm, please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He was worried that, the, the, that God was going to take the Holy Spirit away from him permanently. And so he does not have more. Okay. He does not, did not have the same uh, uh, benefits of salvation that you and I have. And so the Lord here is pointing to uh, this to come, that the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, given to people. And so we, we looked at that, and let me get back around to my, my main point here. I got off there. Uh, but that instruction uh, is explained in verse 5. Uh, and then as you go scroll down, uh, we see an example of why this was necessary over in Acts chapter 19. So you have this group of believers who believed during Christ's earthly ministry, but was not present at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given, right? And so Paul comes to them and asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And what is their answer? 
Yeah, we were there at the day of Pentecost and we received the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. No, they said we not even heard there be such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And so go with me over there really quick and then we'll pray and get into it. But Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And it says there, and it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, unto John's baptism. And so immediately what you see here is there's a difference between the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit and the baptism that John was doing uh, during the gospel times. And in verse 5 it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when uh, Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all of the men were about twelve. And so you see uh, there are some distinct differences there. Uh, now let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll uh, get back into this. Uh, Carl's bringing around more uh, uh, copies of page four uh, there and we, we should be able to get into uh, that page here today. Father, we're grateful for this day. Excuse me. Grateful for the uh, grace that you provided to us and the the blessings that we're able to uh, live in light of each day because, uh, as it says in, in the book of Ephesians, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We're grateful for uh, this opportunity to look into your word and continue through this study in the book of Acts. Uh, grateful to appreciate those things that you've done before and the things that you're doing now uh, and the things that you will do in the future and to keep those things within there proper context uh, so that we can uh, live lives that are worthy of, of what you've called us to do. We pray that, uh, again, this study would enhance our understanding of those things. And we'd uh, just, as we go into this week, we desire to uh, be led by your Holy Spirit into each individual act that you desire from us uh, so that you might be glorified. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so, uh, again, point B there uh, at the bottom of page 3, uh, lowercase b, you see that uh, the believers assume uh, by Paul to have received the Holy Spirit. And so remember, uh, and this is a little bit deep detail into the language, but there's a conditional statement that's made there in verse 2 where he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And uh, really, you don't get it in the English. If you read it in the English, it sounds like he's just asking them a question. But he's assuming there in this first class condition that they have received the Holy Spirit. And that's an interesting uh, part of speech. Uh, and then this construction uh, creates, again, this first class conditional statement or a statement of fact that you've received the Holy Spirit. You could say it more like this. You've received the Holy Spirit since you believed, haven't you? And they, uh, of course, answer no. And so the group have not heard of the fact that there is a Holy Spirit. And we see that believers have, uh, th these believers have their baptism question. And why is that? Because they said they were baptized uh, unto John's baptism. This indicates that they were uh, not spirit baptized, 
those saved. And so that's something that's uh, distinct to this dispensation as you see them transferring in from uh, the, the Gospels into this dispensation of grace. Uh, and so they claim the baptism of John. Now remember, uh, we talked about this baptism of John before, and I think it was a couple weeks ago, where you look back on it and he was baptizing a baptism of repentance for the kingdom of heaven. And so what did he say when they were coming out to him? Repent, for the kingdom of heavens is at hand. He hadn't, there was nothing involved with the Holy Spirit in that baptism whatsoever. Now, you see that the Lord, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But this is not the same uh, as the people that were being baptized there. And so this, uh, um, at bottom of page three, they claim, uh, again, the baptism of John, believers from uh, Christ's earthly ministry uh, who weren't at the day of Pentecost. And so as you as we get into chapter two and start looking at this event that occurred, uh, they weren't there. And so believers baptized by John and waiting for the kingdom. Uh, and again, as you think about the two kingdoms, the kingdom from the heavens and the kingdom of God, these are two distinct things. Those that believe the facts of the gospel are immediately placed into the kingdom of God. Those that were of Israel from the time they were born, what were they waiting on? They were waiting on the Messiah to return and establish his kingdom upon this earth, the kingdom of the heavens. And so that's what this baptism uh, was in, in anticipation of. Uh, and so these believers were unaware of the presentation of the Holy Spirit. And these believers uh, received the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of Paul. And so very interesting uh, as you look at that and understand as we go back to uh, Acts chapter 1. In verse five, that the Lord was pointing to this baptism of the Holy Spirit that was about to come uh, shortly after. Now, uh, this baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit is, of course, superior to the baptism uh, of John that was before. Uh, and so it was prophesied by uh, John in the Gospels. Go back with me to John chapter one and verse thirty three. The Gospel of John. And these are not uh, the only places where you'll see these. You, of course, see them all throughout, throughout Scripture. Or all throughout the Gospels. Um, mainly in, in the upper room discourse, as we've looked at before. But here you see John pointing to it. And pick it up in verse 29. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus uh, coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him uh, not. But uh, that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And so again, you see, Jesus is this man, this Messiah that they've been waiting on. And if they uh, would have accepted him, he would have established this earthly kingdom right at that time. Uh, yet they didn't accept him as a nation. In verse 32, and John uh, bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon me I, and I knew him not. But he uh, that sent me baptizes with water. The same saith unto me upon whom 
upon whom thou shalt see my spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he uh, which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Uh, and so you see here, uh, again, this baptism of the Holy Spirit pointed out is distinct from this baptism that's taking place on the earth uh, with John and pointing to something else that's coming in the future. Uh, and then we go back over again to, we won't go there, but just thinking about it, Acts chapter 19 and verse 3, we see that this was proven uh, by Paul, that this baptism was superior. Uh, again, they, they, what did they ask? Or he asked them if they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. And they said, uh, no, we've not heard of such a thing. So if the, the baptism that they received under John were adequate, then why did he have to baptize them again? There would have been no point for them to be baptized further. Uh, but we see that they were. And then we see that it's also promoted by Paul over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Go with me over there. And you see the importance of spirit baptism. Now, as you're going through uh, the first several verses of this chapter, you see uh, the spiritual gifts and how they're working uh, and the fact that there are different gifts that are given to different individuals. But it's the same spirit that's energizing within all of us to utilize whatever gift it is that you have. And so this is a very important thing to understand. But as you come to verse 11, he said, but all these work at the one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally or separately as he will or as he uh, uh, determines. For as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is the Christ. And so I put that the there, even though you don't see it in your English, because it's there in the Greek, and it's very important. This entity, it's not just talking about Christ the person, it's talking about this entity that has Christ at the head and us at the body. And he's the one that's energizing in us uh, through the Holy Spirit to be able to use our spiritual gifts. Verse 13, he says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not uh, one member, but many. And so uh, he goes into the analogy here of the physical body and looking at how the physical body has different parts that comprise it. And so all of you have uh, fingers, hands, uh, not my fingers or hands or my feet, uh, but we all have different body parts that comprise this whole body, right? And they all make up one. They do have different functions. They do different things, but they're all part of one body. And that's the same thing as the uh, body of Christ. And so we see that there. Now, this ends kind of the introduction to this chapter as you uh, look at verses, chapter, well, yeah, the chapter. <laughs> look through uh, Acts chapter verses 1 through 5. Again, I kind of uh, stated that as the introduction to the book of Acts. Now, as you go through verses 6, and I would say all the way through chapter 7 and verse 60, you're looking at the presentation of the gospel in Jerusalem. Now, remember, I said that this book, and you can break it out in many different ways. This is the way I chose to break it out uh, along the lines of how the gospel was presented and how it went out. Because you see, all the way through the book of Acts, 
the gospel is being given to different places in different areas, ending with Paul giving the gospel where? He goes to Rome. <laughs> now, I would argue with people that say that Paul went the perfect way. God allows for different things to happen, right? And so we can see, and we're going to see it when we get there, that uh, Paul probably could have took a much easier road to get to Rome than what he ended up taking. But he ended up having to go the hard way <laughs> and in chains because he was determined to do things uh, his way rather than God's. Uh, but it all worked out. We know that all things work together for good to those that uh, love God and are called according to his purpose. So that's, that's what I'll say about that. Now, the uh, uh, Acts of the Apostles prior to the Holy Spirit are what, it, what are viewed for most of the rest of this chapter. Uh, and so you see in uh, verses 6 through 26 uh, what they're doing prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 6 it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked him, and really you can look at the, again, language becomes important. Uh, this is in the present tense. So it's kind of an iterative thing that they kept on asking him over and over again uh, as, as if they were excited about it, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So you see where their mind was. Their mind was not on uh, we're going to believe in this work that Christ accomplished and we're going to receive the Holy Spirit and we're going to go out and, and do our work as apostles. Their, their minds were on the kingdom coming. Even in the chapter two, after the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to see that Peter even offers another time for Israel that, hey, if you will all believe right now, guess what? Even though Christ went up into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God, he'll come right back down and establish this kingdom right now. And we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. And so uh, you, you got to keep in perspective, not our minds and the minds of people who have been brought up in the word of God. You have to understand it from their perspective and ones that have been raised on the law and the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament and understanding that this is what was supposed to happen and what they anticipated all their lives was for this Messiah to come. So imagine you're anticipating this. You've identified this man. This is him. This is the Messiah. Remember, Peter testified to that fact. You are the son of God, the one that he sent. And then they see him die <laughs> and they see him get crucified. And then after that, they see him resurrect. And so they're probably really at this point, uh, seeming it in their mind and believing that this is the one. So when are you going to establish this kingdom that we've been waiting on? This is what's in their mind. And so it says they kept on asking him, uh, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel? Uh, in verses 6 through 11, we see this departing instruction that's given by the Lord. And I'm going to keep reading here. And it says in verse 7, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times. Now, as you look at these words for time in the Greek there are different words. And so this word for time has to do with the chronological order of how things are supposed to occur. It's not for you to know that. Nor the seasons. And this uh, idea has to do with the proper season of time for something to take place. These things aren't their business. And, and furthermore, he says they're the fathers. It says, which the father hath put in his own power, or really they're your word for authority. But you shall receive power 
Now, interesting here, they translate the same two words power here that are different words. He says uh, the God's uh, authority uh, is to know what the times and seasons of times are supposed to be. Uh, but they will receive power, dunamis, physical power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and in uh, Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see this play out. This is kind of why I, I diagrammed it the way I did. You see him uh, start off there in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost and you understand that all of these people were here from different parts uh, of, of this area and, and as they've been spread out. Uh, and then you see uh, it expand to Judea uh, and then to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 9, and when he had spoke these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now imagine this, you're sitting here watching this man uh, that's done all of these amazing things standing right here in your presence and then levitating off the ground, as it were, until he goes out of your sight. It must have been an amazing thing to see. In verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, into heaven shall uh, so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, what is the manner that he left? <laughs> yeah, up. <laughs> like that movie with the, the little guy with the, um, its wife died and <laughs> he's left behind. He went up in the balloon, right? But there's something key and central to this like manner that he's talking about here. And I will say it becomes very important to when you're believing things re relating to the last times and the things that should happen. Uh, and this is why we believe that the rapture is different from the second coming of the Lord. His feet were touching the ground when he left. His feet are going to touch the ground again when he returns. And that's why we know the rapture is not the second coming. And people get a lot of these verses relating to these things confused. You can go back into the Old Testament and it says when he returns, his feet are going to hit the ground right where he left. And it's going to split the ground in two and it's going to start off a uh, series of events that are not going to be so pleasant for those people that are on the earth during this, that time. Uh, and so you see that uh, is what's to come. He's going to return in the same manner in which he left. And so that's where I would break the first part. And let's go back to verse 6. And in verses 6 through 8, we see the uh, clarification of the pre their present purpose. And so the apostles uh, request for the kingdom clarification. And what did the Lord tell them? None of your business. <laughs> it's not for you to know. And as he talks about these times and seasons, I believe this relates to uh, God's overall plan and purposes for this earth to his decree, the book of the decree, as it were. As you look at what God has done and laid out over the course of time that's supposed to happen on this earth, it's all been written. And the events that he's determined are going to happen are going to happen in the sequence and time that he chose for them to happen. And it's not for us to know that. Now, wouldn't it be nice to be able to get a peek in on that book and see when things are coming. 
Well, it would probably be bad. You're right. <laughs> what would what would people be doing if they knew what uh, order that things were going to occur? Well, they'd probably just be <laughs> doing whatever they want to do until uh, Christ returns. And so, uh, it's really none of their business to know the chronological times and seasons. And He's giving them proper instruction for what they should be doing while they're waiting. And, and the Holy Spirit is to come here shortly. And so you see this authority uh, is of the Father uh, for revelation in verse 7. And then the acceptance uh, of the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. Now, uh, again, the culmination of Christ's uh, time on the earth is seen in verses 9 through 11. Uh, again, the ascension in verse 9. Uh, it's very important, this idea of uh, him being lifted up from the ground, uh, this taken up idea it even uh, I believe this word for lifted up is used for crucifixion at times uh, so it's a very interesting uh, way of explaining it but he was lifted up uh, and it's in the passive so it wasn't himself that caused himself to go up into heaven uh, whether it be the Holy Spirit or whether it be uh, the Father that caused him to go up uh, you decide and then uh, this idea here of them looking at him as he went it's very interesting. Uh, you would expect that if you were looking at Christ going into heaven, you would, <laughs> wouldn't you be dumbfounded if it was one of you guys? Uh, the word that's utilized here is a word for a glance. It's not a word for staring and beholding that's normally used. It's the idea of looking and looking away at something really quickly. And I believe the reason this is used is probably because the glory of the Lord was being shown as he went into heaven. And they weren't able to just sit there and glare at him. You ever uh, look, try to look at the sun during the day and imagine uh, what did Paul say over in Acts here a little bit later? He said when he saw the Lord, he saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. So to sit there and stare at that probably would have been detrimental to your eyesight. Uh, and I'm thinking, uh, again, that's the only thing that I could come up with. Why, why would you not want to just sit there and openly behold Christ uh, ascending into heaven? The uh, only thing that I could think of there is that his glory precluded them from uh, looking that long. And then it says a cloud received him out of their eyes. Now, uh, very interesting, again, that uh, word there for cloud often occurs Remember, when the Lord returns, what does it say he's going to return with? Clouds. <laughs> Clouds of people. Go with me over to 1 Thessalonians. This is just an aside. Not even in your notes. You can add it if you want to. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is always a, a comforting verse and then reminded of uh, the pastor as he uh, talked about his last conversation uh, uh, with our brother Joshua before uh, he uh, passed away last week. And so you, not, not my brother, but our <laughs> spiritual brother, <laughs> Josh. Um, and so he said that the last thing that impacted him was that he clearly gave him the facts of the gospel uh, before uh, that he departed. And so uh, 
as you think about this verse, and, and it's sad to see someone go, right? But you're always comforted when you know someone believes the facts of the gospel because you know uh, with this uh, stated in Scripture that this is going to be true of them. And so as you think of him, uh, you can think of this verse too. But pick it up in verse 13. He says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that we sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we uh, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, and really there the idea of, of proceed, them which are asleep. And so what does that mean? That means the ones that died in Christ first will be the ones that returned first and received their glorified bodies. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ uh, shall rise first. Then we, we which uh, are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in what? Clouds. Uh, to meet or into a meeting with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so you see clouds associated with them here. Now, a lot of people, including myself, I would tend to lean toward that being clouds of people. Uh, but it's interesting to see that uh, clouds is used uh, with relationship to the Lord there. Uh, and then I believe also over in Jude. If I can trust my memory. Probably not something I should do. Okay. Yeah, I shouldn't have trusted my memory on that one. Anyways, uh, that's just an interesting one. Uh, there's there's a verse I'm thinking of that I could have went to. And Jude? Hebrews 12. What verse were you thinking of? You're talking about the clouds for this time. Mm hmm. Oh, oh, cloud of witnesses. Yeah, that's not the one I was thinking of. Um, yeah, again, when you. Uh, <laughs> Make a point that should be made before you <laughs> before you get up to do do the uh, uh, verse. But uh, again, you see this cloud associated with him, and it received them uh, out of his sight. And so then, in verses ten and eleven, we see again the appearance of these angels here. And then the admonition is interesting that's given by the angels in verse eleven uh, that they really take them to task here. Why why are you standing? Looking into heaven, this same Jesus that you've seen taken up from you is going to come back again in like manner. So then in uh, verses 12 through 26, we see uh, again uh, here you can think of this uh, in different ways. And a lot of people uh, like to ascribe uh, things to these apostles and, and look at them like they're way up here 
and they had everything together and they're they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. Well, I don't know that the the text bears that out, out often and here I'm uh you can kind of look at this as this act of what they did in in replacing Judas. Did they do this on their own or did they do this uh by the leading of the spirit? Well, I can tell you they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. So they were acting uh, in accordance with what they thought were, was best based on uh, scripture. And so uh, an interesting thing that they did, and they uh, drew straws. Now, this is almost a, a chance kind of thing that they did to pick the uh, apostle that they picked. Uh, very interesting thing. Let's read through uh, from verse 12 uh, to 26, and then we'll come back and recap. It says in verse 12, Then returned uh, they unto Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is in is from uh, Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up to the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Uh, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. And so you have these 120 disciples that are gathered in, in one place. And Peter stands up to say, now, <laughs> remember uh, our history with Peter. He's made statements uh, oftentimes it aren't supported by uh, <laughs> probably the best of wisdom uh, and things that he should do. Uh, he stands up before them in verse 16. He says, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had a, obtained part of this ministry. Now this uh, man purchased a field with the reward of unrighteousness, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. It's a pretty graphic thing. <laughs> I'm not going to go go too deeply into that one, but needless to say, uh, uh, Judas met a bad demise. In verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers in Jerusalem, insomuch as the, the field is called by the proper tongue al uh, that is to say, the field of blood, for it is uh, written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation uh, be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another one take. Wherefore, of these uh, men which have company with us all uh, the time that the Lord Jesus went in uh, and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, uh, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that, they, or that he might be, uh, take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go uh, to his own place. Verse 26, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, 
and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So you see an interesting and curious uh, event recorded in scripture here that they, uh, by Peter's interpretation of a scripture, that uh, this was going to happen to Judas and that someone else needed to take his place, he thought it well to appoint these two individuals and then uh, they drew straws, as it were, to see which of the individuals it should be. Sounds like a reasonable thing to do, right? Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it further. So in verses 12 through 14, we see uh, this gathering of the disciples uh, and the return of the apostles to Jerusalem uh, and the meeting in this upper room. Now, it's interesting uh, that they're back meeting again in, in an upper room, uh, not sure uh, if it's the same exact one that we saw in the Gospels, uh, but they're meeting in an upper room again. And then the collective prayer of these disciples, uh, based on the facts of who, uh, uh, um, or excuse me, just general prayer that was given there uh, by the disciples. And in verses 15 through 22, uh, we see this decision uh, from Peter. Now, again, Peter, uh, as we've seen many times throughout the book uh, or throughout the Gospels, he's the one that's often the spokesperson on behalf of these disciples. And so it's his idea to come up with uh, whether they should replace Judas, who died. Um, now, I have my opinion from Scripture, and I don't know that it can be proven, but it looks like to me that Peter uh, interpreted scripture in the way that he decided to interpret it. Now, as you look at it, how many more times do you see this Matthias character pop up? Anybody recall seeing him anywhere else in scripture? I don't recall seeing him at all. <laughs> I might be missing it. I didn't, <laughs> didn't do an in-depth word study to see if he's, he's mentioned again, but I don't recall seeing him at all again. And so as you think about that, there is somebody that I know does pop up. <laughs> there is someone that is very impactful to God's ministry moving forward. And could it be that he took the place that Judas was supposed to take? Who am I speaking of? Yeah. Wow, you guys are sharp. <laughs> you got it right away. And so uh, I, I personally think that it was not up to Peter to decide who was supposed to replace who. It was up to God. And Peter, not having received the Holy Spirit, it's very interesting that this is pointed out right before the Holy Spirit comes. Chapter 2, what happens? The day of Pentecost takes place and the Holy Spirit is there. Perhaps the Holy Spirit could have led them better in searching for a person than, than Peter and his uh, own um, inclinations and, and the rest of the disciples. So it's a, a very interesting thing to look at. Um, we won't go too much deeper into that one, but I wanted to point that one out for you guys before uh, we get to chapter 2. As you come to chapter 2, and we made our way through that one a little faster than I expected, um, I probably should have given you guys notes for page five. As you come to chapter two, we see this uh, event in the coming of the Holy Spirit. And let's pick it up at uh, verse one of chapter two. And we're going to just read through and I'll highlight some things. Uh, again, we're going to be probably way over a month before we're able to get back to this again. So uh, 
we'll probably have to come back and, and uh, fill in some things anyway. Uh, but in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, uh, they were all together in one place, or in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Let me see how far I'm supposed to go here. Okay, verse 4. Uh, and suddenly, uh, or excuse me, verse 3, And there appeared unto them uh, cloven tongues like as unto fire, and it sat, uh, sat upon each one of them. And there were, uh, f- they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, uh, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there uh, were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men uh, out of every nation under heaven, uh, and and so stop there, and we'll kind of look at this, and we'll come back again next time. But you see this uh, gathering of disciples here at the day of Pentecost, and probably a lot of Jews, of course, there in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. And what we're going to see is that there are Jews from all different kinds of areas. That I'm sure were able to speak Hebrew, but they also spoke languages from those areas where they came from. Now. <laughs> This is where it becomes important to understand the importance of tongues. They didn't have to speak to them in these different languages. They could have just as easily have spoken to them in Hebrew. (laughs) They were, I'm sure, uh, talking to each other and doing things prior to the Holy Spirit coming. Now, the miracle that you see here is that they're able to be heard in these different languages that they uh, carried from these other places. And it's going to show you that something different has taken place here. Something different is happening. And it's not just some contrived power of individuals. You see a lot of individuals, and we we talked about this in our uh, series leading up to this one, going around doing different things, right? They call themselves different things. They say that they have different abilities. And you probably have never seen any of these things take place with these individuals. They just like the titles, right? I'm apostle such and such, or I'm uh, evangelist this, or I'm (laughs) the titles before these people's names. Or I have the gift of tongues, and I can speak in tongues. But you hear them speaking, and no one can understand what they're saying. There was something happening here that could be proven to show the power of God and that something different had taken place. And what was that different thing? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come, and he's causing people to have power that they didn't have before. And so that's a preview into uh, Acts chapter 2, and we'll, we'll get into it in uh, a little over a month. And so um, keep your notes for that one. We'll give you some more. And again, I'm going to try to uh, wrap up just your kind of uh, basic notes there and, and get them out to you. Um, uh, for next time, but we'll be uh, preaching uh, here moving forward for the next five weeks, and I believe Brother Don is going to be doing Sunday school, so you'll be able to enjoy uh, a a different kind of series here for a little over a month. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day uh, and grateful for the coming of your Holy Spirit and uh, what it means to us in our lives that we don't have to uh, wander around Uh, wondering what's going to happen. We can uh, take the truth that's in your word and we can take the leading of the Holy Spirit and those two things 
uh, provide us with a basis for living life that's unlike uh, what's been able to be experienced in past times. Uh, we're grateful, uh, as always, to have the opportunity to bring you glory. And so we pray as uh, these opportunities present themselves that we would uh, be mindful of them and we would uh, be ready uh, and in the place where we can walk in them. Uh, it's all in your son's name we pray. Amen.